1: ChrisCooper.co.uk. I'm delighted to be back with you again for yet another week. And uh, today, I'm going to be talking with Roger Masterson. We're going to be talking about um, his experience from uh, being um, believing he was stupid to um, what he is today, and known as he's known as the Castle Man. And uh, but before we do that, I'd like to say a big thank you to last week's uh, guest, Patricia Fripp. And it was such a privilege to talk to her about sales presentations and got to confess, I was actually a little bit in awe, as I know her as one of the most famous speakers on the speaking circuit today, and, and really well-deserved. Now, my last live show was on the Friday the 13th, uh, and despite it being on Friday the 13th, it went very well, I'm pleased to say, and, and that was with Lenora Billings-Harris, who I thought was a great guest, and we chatted about uh, diversity and uh, how to uh, take advantage um, of uh, diversity in your organization. So if that's um, important to you, then do listen into to that show. So I've had some good practice recently at being in awe, and it came in handy this week while interviewing Jack Canfield on Monday with Amanda Brown in a show that will air on the 13th of March. And I told Jack how I felt before the interview, and he said, don't worry, I still get it uh, when I'm with Barack Obama. Jackie is America's number one success coach and author of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, which has sold over 500 million books. Um, And I was also with Amanda Brown, who's the founder of Leading Ladies. So do listen out for that one. And The engineer, Brad, who was supporting the program from Voice America, said it was outstanding. Um, So I really, I shall be listening back, that's for sure. So my all muscle has been flexed. And yet it is again this afternoon, because we've got the fabulous Roger Masterson, and I wonder, have you ever convinced yourself that your opportunities are limited, when in reality ev- anything is possible? Roger once believed he was stupid, and how wrong could he be? Because today he's a serial entrepreneur who helps business owners to think differently, and he's also the founder of, Ca- of Celtic Castle. Celtic Castles, I'm sorry, the award-winning online castle booking company, which is based in the heart of Yorkshire in England. He's best known as the castle man. He's also the only person I've ever met with a castle-shaped business card. And my youngest son, Daniel, actually, who's only five, picked up Roger's card from my office and said, wow, Dad, can I keep this? I said, Danny, do you know there's nobody in the world who knows more about staying in castles than the man on that card? Wow. So, Roger, there could be a great opportunity for you, not only on adult but also kids' TV as they just love castles. In fact, with an audience of that age, you could become to castles, what one direction are to music. So Roger says he's at his very best as a disruptive thinker, and he believes you learn more from things going wrong, and and he understands the difficulties of losing a business, so I'm sure he'll share a little bit about that. He also takes time out to mentor other business owners. He's known for his enthusiasm, how approachable he is, and how highly knowledgeable he is about business. That is because he's walked the talk. He has the t-shirt. He's also a natural connector of people and he's able to see lots of opportunities and how to collaborate widely. He's a keen gardener, a skier, a hill walker, a photographer, and he loves staying in castles. In fact, we decided to celebrate the interview with a collaboration meeting and a hill walk together in Yorkshire next week, and I can't wait. So a big welcome to the castle man, Roger Masterson.
2: Wow, Chris, what an introduction. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. So... um, so, Roger, you live up in Yorkshire. I do, yes. We're in between Leeds and Manchester, just on the uh, the outskirts of the Yorkshire Dales, so it's a great part of the world. And I live in a town um, called Halifax. I remember Halifax for,
1: there's a, a cake-making company there. Right. I used to visit many years ago. Um, so, um, probably a good place to... Uh, uh, to get cakes, I would imagine, if that's what you're into.
2: <laughs> well, when you're with us, my youngest daughter is a bit of a cake demon, so I'm sure she can pull something out for you.
1: Excellent. Well, I'll tell her I'm looking forward to uh, looking forward to the experience and meeting her. Um, now, in the introduction, you mentioned that you thought you were stupid. Uh, do you want to tell us about your background and how that came about?
2: No problem, Chris. Um, well, I'm I'm not academic. Um, uh, my wife, who is uh, very academic. Um, would be more concerned about the 4% that she didn't get in an exam where I, was be, I would be delighted if I got the 4%. Um, maybe that's why we get on so well together. Mm-hmm. But I was just looking at some of my reports and um, I picked out one comment and this was very common through a lot of the, my, my, my sort of time in education. It said, Roger is quiet in class and it's difficult to, to discover just what his problems are. So there wasn't obviously just one, but I struggled with reading as a child. A friend, um, I can remember through the summer holidays, could read a whole Enid Blyton book in an hour, whereas I would struggle to get through to the first chapter. Um, So that always sort of affected me in lots of different ways. And I wasn't getting the story either. But what I hadn't realized was I was suffering from dyslexia. Um, and I didn't know that until my my early twenties. And basically, uh, as we would say back home in Belfast, um, I thought I was as thick as two short planks. And the messages I would get, I was getting really from education and sometimes my father, uh, peer groups, uh, and on um, team fields. You know, entrance exams to schools and the uh, the dreaded eleven plus over here was that you know I was stupid. I also remember um, a guy called Andrew, I'll not mention his last name, who in our first uh, O-level year, which are uh, GCSEs now, he uh, said to me, yeah, right, you'll be back in the sixth form. Um, And you know, Chris, I think he was probably right. But that made me really, really determined. Um, I gave up sport, which I was very good at. Well, in fact, I changed some of the sports that I was doing. But I started to get up at 5 a.m. every morning for the two years in my, my O-level years. and managed to get enough O-levels through that hard work to get me back
1: in. I don't know if you're able just to tell us a little bit about the story about landscape gardens, be- because I think there was um, you know, some real clue, um, clues about your um, natural
2: intelligence mm-hmm. at a young age from that okay. story. Yeah, Chris. Um, well, at the age of 10, um, I started working as a petrol attendant uh, when petrol used to be served. And I very quickly uh, picked up that if I added value to the customers, I cleaned their windscreens, checked their oil, etc., I would earn more money. Um, and as I got older, sort of 13, 14, I started to set up window cleaning rounds um, and then started to employ my friends. Uh, and as we got older uh, some of my mates got cars and we got ladders etc so we set up rounds all over the place but what I was really looking for was my own independence and control but what was quite interesting is I was earning between eight and twelve pounds an hour back in the uh, the late 70s um, which was a heck of a, an hourly rate um, but that was good fun but then um, three of the fields that we used to play in locally were um, put over to development and they built 53 houses. Those houses all had gardens both at front and back. So we saw an opportunity to start landscape gardening, actually digging the gardens up to get them ready for turf. So again, we mobilized the team and off we went uh, and created some summer employment out in the fresh air. So that was great fun. Um,
1: Brilliant. Well just to let you know Roger we're going to uh, we're going to d- ditch this commercial break because we had a few little challenges and we're going to keep on talking. Okay. Um, so um uh,
2: so great and didn't you say you um you, you, that co- became quite a large contract for you, didn't it? well, we we, we did make a lot of money for, from it, and um, then we were able to I was able to pass the window cleaning round on to somebody else. But I think it's the learning that um, certainly I picked up, and I'm sure a lot of the other uh, people involved did as well, that if we provided extra service, we would earn more money. and also that if we worked together, we could achieve more. And by taking on responsibility, even at that young age, it made a difference to our lives. So those, for me, were, were very much key learning points at that early stage in my life.
1: And how did you go from that, you know, from this revelation to you
2: know, eventually becoming known as the castle man? Well, <clears throat> the, the castle business came from experiencing bad service. Um, I'd seen an advert in the London Times for a uh, company called Crofts and Castles selling, you know, holidays. So I sent off for this brochure, this lovely brochure arrived, but I was just really let down because it was full of bungalows. It didn't have any crofts in it, but it did have two castles, which, to be honest, weren't that inspiring. But I started to think about, well, how would somebody find a castle if they wanted to have a holiday in it? So for 18 months... Um, I got uh, tourism brochures from every region of Scotland and um, in that period I only found four castles that had the money to advertise in these uh, magazines and they weren't reaching a huge audience and the internet had just started so we got their brochures we put them on the internet and started to develop traffic so we got an inquiry and we thought oh my goodness what do we do with this and um, we thought, well, let's phone up and see if there's a room available. <laughs> so we did, and there was. And we sent the information off to this chap in New York, and he just sent his credit card details back. And then we thought, oh my goodness, what do we do with all of this? So right. I said, well, let's put it on a fax and phone up the castle and see if it's still available. And we did. We passed the information onto the castle. We told them that just to follow their normal procedure, and they said that's fine. And we asked. Uh, Uh, You know, normal agents commission. And I said, yes, that's fine. We put the phone down and wondered what that was. And in four months, we gave them more business than they'd ever seen uh, from what they thought was an advert. And we thought, we've got a business here. And we started to develop expertise in this market. And the castle man element came from myself just talking to uh, customers on the phone. And I would use this line, oh, they call me the castle tart because I've slept (laughs) in so many castles. (laughs) And and part of our objective was we didn't just want to list this stuff on the Internet. We wanted to get to know these castles almost intimately. We wanted to get them to know the the owners and what they could offer customers if they came through. Literally so we could share more information uh, with customers on the first point of contact. We've got a really good entrepreneurial team uh, within Celtic Castles, and um, I went on holiday, but we've been talking about putting a picture of a human on the website so that people would feel more comfortable with it, and uh, I go on holiday and come back and find my name, or my picture on the site, and Julie in the office said, we can't call him the Castle Tart, let's call him the Castle Man, so that's where the, the name has come from. And what was quite interesting is people were filling in forms and wanted to talk to me, um, which stimulated more calls. And I've stopped using Castle Tart now, and the Castle Man has become a brand in its own. Mm. So that's the story behind it.
1: Excellent. Um, So, yes, it would have sounded a bit like a cake company, wouldn't it? (laughs) It would, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So you you say that you're a disruptor. What, What do you mean? And should we all be more disruptive?
2: I believe we should. I mean, entrepreneurs are very, very interesting and we come in all shapes and sizes. And I sort of, when I'm looking at entrepreneurs, I see them as starters, you know, they come up with an idea and, and they start something new and they're very, very much doers as well. They get their hands dirty, uh, which is part of, you know, what what, what drives them. But they have to be disruptive thinkers in how they pick up these ideas and also use that technique to grow their businesses. We're also not very good as completer finishers, and I have to raise my hand to that as well. Luckily, the team come up and pick things up behind me. Um, But let me give you an example um, of how disruptive thinking can work very, very effectively. Um, I remember sitting in one of our team meetings and Rachel just mentioned the halfway house. And I said, what's the halfway house? She said a lady uh, not far from where we live um, was renting out her dining room for meetings for the Halifax Bank. Now, our office is just across the road from the Halifax Bank and their data centre is about three miles away. And when we started to do some research... What we found was that managers couldn't find enough meeting room space in their premises, so we're using their own homes as well as this lady's dining room to hold meetings. And what we would do is we would create a project um, for, and in this case it was Rachel who led it, to start looking at and asking questions about how we could service the needs for those managers. And what was quite interesting is very quickly we found that There was a huge demand and we had three rooms within our offices, which we could convert to meeting rooms. But what we couldn't do was get into the bank to promote our wares. It was almost like a closed shop. So we started to think in a different way. And this is where the disruptive thinking comes into place. So the decision makers we needed to get to, we just made an assumption, well, they must wear suits. And those people at lunchtime buy sandwiches. So what I did was I started to walk around town and identified where the queues of people were at lunchtime who were wearing suits and looked as if they were decision makers. And we collated and created uh, brochures, which we dropped in their sandwich bags Mm. prior prior to them actually picking up the sandwiches. So we did this with the catering companies that supplied them. And these became coasters. And lo and behold, people started to email us and phone us up for meeting rooms. And what that turned into was a 52% return on our building. So the disruptive thinking was standing back and looking at it differently. You know, we're seeing examples of this um, with apps that are coming out. The Erber app for taxis is an interesting sort of disruptive thinking process. Um, airbnb is another fabulous example where it's looking at accommodation feedback and personal experiences creating communities um, a friend of mine warwick brindle who's chairman of rockcliffe hall um, he was faced with a situation and this is a five-star you know luxury hotel with golf course and spa um, he was faced with a situation where his golf course had snow on it for a month but well, what they did was they brought virtual golf into the clubhouse And the clubhouse was packed, and they made more money from that than they would have done probably from the golf course. So my belief is we all have to think disruptively, not just in business, but in our lives. Um, And we have to keep asking why and challenging sort of the status quo. Makes a lot of sense.
1: A lot of sense. I was uh, talking with an insurance company this morning, and they have a system that they've created. They realize that when people are calling in asking for insurance quotes that they don't always give quite often the correct information and they right. might not tell you if they've got um you know had fines or suspensions or, or uh, and they may play different insurers off uh, against right. one another uh, and uh, they have a system whereby you can see the entire record and the history of that individual in terms of which insurance is, is called and when uh, right you even find out see which uh, you even see if they're using false names by the, um, uh, by the information that's picked up on their computer, and, and it's quite amazing, actually, the impact it's had. It's very disruptive, but it suddenly
2: gives the insurers a, a better perception of
1: you and whether you're telling the truth or not.
2: Absolutely, and gives them that empowerment and that knowledge, and I think the whole world is becoming you know a knowledge environment, and if you can capture that and use it in that way, it becomes very, very valuable for sure.
1: And what are the key lessons you've learned about yourself and business that may help anyone uh, become a
2: successful entrepreneur like yourself? Um, There are many lessons, Chris. I think if I was to sort of look at my top three, um, the first one, actually, interesting enough, would be failure. I don't like that word, if I'm honest. I think it's got very negative connotations. Um, but I lost a, a large business sort of two, uh, at the end of 2000 uh, and spent two years sorting it out um, when I closed it. You know, lots of skeletons came out of the woodwork, etc. And um, I had to go into negotiation with banks and people that were owed money and whatnot. Um, and it was a very difficult time for me, and it's not something I would wish on anybody, but... What it has done is it gave me a huge amount of confidence. Something like that, and on, on that sort of scale, that goes wrong. When you go through that and come out the other end, you know, there's not a lot that can go wrong in life that's that's bigger than that. So, you you just think, yes, I've I, I've been through that. It can never get any worse. So that failure builds that confidence and gives you the courage in a way to to take other. You know risks and calculated risks within business to uh, to try new things. I think the other thing is uh, is belief. Um, the uh, I remember my wife saying to me when we first set up um, Celtic Castles, "I cannot believe," she said, "how many hours you're working." And we we actually had the courage to work out the uh, the <laughs> my salary per hour, which was thirty four p. I'd have been better cleaning windows, to be honest. Um, <clears throat> But I just had this huge belief that I could make this business work, and we were seeing growth within the business. I just wasn't taking any money out; I was just plying everything back in. Um, and and belief is so important. But you also have to have that vision, and I've sat down and said, "Yes, this is what we want to achieve with it." And I come back to to, to the simple thing of hard work. If you're afraid of you know sixteen to twenty-hour days. Um, you know and especially at a startup you know which is really really exciting then you know if you're not into that don't get into to setting up a business so those would be my my, my top three but you learn all the time through different situations and then just build on that knowledge so those would be my top three excellent I guess that's
1: probably that last point you made is you know a difference between maybe maybe a lifestyle business versus you know a real business as such with which you're, you're scaling up with people etc um, because there are people out there who manage to you know run
2: lifestyle businesses with
1: without doing 16 to 20 hours don't they?
2: No indeed although I think a lot of people who who are entrepreneurs and maybe are on their own it's not easy and they probably are still working long hours and not getting the full full return but there is a big responsibility when you, when you bring a team into a business um, to, to, to help them move forward and, and, and you know help Push your vision through you know their understanding of that and also the understanding of of where the business needs to go f- you know for, for customers and, and for growth there's a bravery there as well in letting go as well i guess <laughs> to other people it, it, uh, it is and i think that's the hardest thing certainly when i come across um uh, you know solopreneurs in effect to get them onto the next step that, that that is always a challenge and to be fair chris i'm a control freak like like a lot of other entrepreneurs, but what I do is I try and do that from a distance, and with you know working with the team you know regular one to ones et etc we we can manage that and control it, but also actually, I want them to make some mistakes as well to learn from them because i've gone through that I think it's an important tool you know that, that everybody does as long as they're not making the same mistakes again and again and over yeah
1: <laughs> so when'm when, um, when you're a child you you know, you must have. I guess it sounds like you. You know, there was quite a bit of a little bit of negativity coming from yourself in terms of believing you were stupid, and maybe you know some some um, you know seeing in terms of you were putting out there, seeing some responses back that might reinforce how you felt. How did you go about replacing that negativity from your childhood with you know the very positive outlook that you've got now, which uh, you know I'm sure helps you with uh, the belief, uh, yes, in your businesses.
2: Yeah, I I think what I always did is I kept it internally. Uh, My mum was a great smiler. Um, So I remember I always had a smiley face no matter what was going on underneath. Um, But um, I I think I became an optimist over time, um, although I didn't always feel that uh, when I was younger. And as I built confidence then from sort of the age of 27, um, I started to feel I was moving forward. But I have um, um, a lovely analogy um, of of people in society and, and we have um, subtractors, adders and multipliers. Mm. And, um, you know, we all know, and we've all come across subtractors and they sort of drain energy from you. And then you meet, you know, an adder who inspires you. Um, and, uh, you know, you will, you know, listen to what they've got to say, try out some of the stuff that they're doing and watching them. But, you know, one of my aspirations is to become a multiplier. Um, And there's an element I see you as a multiplier, Chris, with what you provide with with this service. But um, multipliers are people who uh, they, they do something and it has a ripple effect. And then that radiates out and other people get inspiration from that as well. So you're not touching one, you touch many um, and <clears throat> interesting enough, is from, from childhood, um, I, I'm an adopted child. And it's funny, quite a lot of entrepreneurs are adopted children. And I don't know what, quite what the connection is, but um, um, that's, that's there in my background. I was also homeless at 16. Um, mm-hmm. We lost the family business. And as a result, the bank took the house. So, so for four months, we were all split up and had, had nowhere to live. Uh, And sadly, you know, what caused that was my father um, was an alcoholic Um, and it was very sad to watch him, you know, in effect lose 25 odd years of of his life. So my belief is that through the experiences that we have in life and our attitude towards those, that's what helps you move um, forward. And in my case, I had two choices. Do I want to have a negative life or do I want to have a positive life? And i chose chosen the positive one. And I draw on all of those experiences. And I can remember when we lost the business, um, I started to read. Um, and my reading has got a bit quicker now. Um, but I read Tony Robbins' book, Awaken the Giant Within. Mm. And, and that was quite an inspiration to me. And I've read it about three or four times. I hand it out to people quite a lot who've not read it before. Um, but that brought that belief in as well and that optimism. And I've used that a lot. And I think through all of this, um, good and bad experiences, I feel very grateful for what I've been given. And, you know, I sort of think it, it can never get any worse. It may do, but I've now got an optimistic viewpoint and I, and I get up and go a sort of I can about things that, that uh, can overcome anything. On a business side, I feel that spending time with other businesses and uh, business owners and sharing experiences is very, very valuable. So that replaces a lot of negativity. You know, business owners uh, are on their own all the time, but if you share those experiences, you get a lot back from it. Um, and what I've tended to find is that when we have business problems, they just happen at different times. We all have them, um, and there's always some sort of solution, and a problem shared um, is a problem halved.
1: Yeah. I guess when, with what you've articulated as well with the extreme that you've experienced from the, the homelessness uh, and, uh, you know, challenges with your, your, da- your dad, etc. You know, you, you've seen the, the dark, so you must so much more appreciate
2: the light. You could, you've experienced the difference. That's a lovely way to put it, Chris. Yes, I suppose there is an element of that. Um, and I think when you, when you have adversity in your life, um, when challenges come up, you sort of put it maybe in a bit more perspective.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. I know you mentioned to, when we were chatting, you mentioned about reading. And uh, you also said to me, it's really important to listen and to look, mm-hmm. um, you know, what are you, what's your, uh, you know, your thoughts and advice when it comes to reading and uh, listening and, uh, and what should we look out for?
2: Well, I, I'm not an avid reader. Um, and I love reading. I'm making up for lost time, uh, from, I suppose, my, my school days and, and lacking that confidence. Um, I'm still not the quickest, um, but, um, I do get a lot, a lot from that, um, I read a huge variety of books. I enjoy business books, um, get a lot lot from that. Um, and I like to share um, some of the reading that I've got. But you just pick up lots of really, really good snippets. So from a business perspective, the broader that you can expand your knowledge and just pick up ideas, the more you can bring into your business and personal life, of course. And um, Listening. Um, well, I do speak to many other businesses, uh, and I'm very lucky in the fact that I can get out of uh, a lot of the, you know, hands-on role of the business to to enjoy that, um, but I ask them what their issues are, you know, in their business. Share some of the issues that I have. Um, what was lovely is um, we had a chap uh, who was looking for a specific property to propose to his. Um, Uh, to his his girlfriend at the time and um, we worked quite closely with him and it was the talk of the office is she going to say yes is she going to say no etc we do a lot of this with clients and um, it actually turned out that he was working in an office about 15 minutes from ours so um, when we heard on the Monday after this weekend away that uh, she'd said yes um, he wanted to meet up for a coffee just to say thank you so we were having a chat and whatnot, and that was lovely and he asked me how can he help us um, and I just thought that was lovely. So I said we were struggling with a bit of technology. We wanted to move some of our data into the cloud, etc. And he introduced us to somebody else. So we listened to him as a customer. He listened to one of our needs, and lo and behold, he introduced us to a new star company who were able to deliver that. So the listening element is so important at all levels. You know, from servic- servicing a customer, but also you know, in that instance, them listening to us. And the looking element, well, I suppose, you know, talking about um, looking at the suits, um, watch people's behavior, look for trends, and look for patterns of behavior uh, and with new technology, etc. It's happening all the time. So um, if you keep your eyes open, you'll see lots of different things. Um, and it's then just can you find a service or an opportunity to create something or improve something for, 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 for the customer? Excellent. Well, we're going to go to
1: a commercial break now. Thanks, Roger. And we'll be back with you in just another couple of minutes. And we're going to sort of start talking about um, getting things done and collaboration and also um, some advice around understanding profits and building assets. So uh, do join us after the break. We'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes.
0: Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, host of the Costa Report, every Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. This week, my guest is outspoken former congressman and one of our country's most prominent gay public figures, Mr. Barney Frank. He'll be with us to talk about the Supreme Court's ruling on DOMA and how the Obama presidency is doing in its second term. Don't miss Barney Frank this Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. on the Voice America Business Channel. together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel
2: every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time
0: Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Programme one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper.
1: Hi, it's Chris Cooper. I'm with uh, Roger Masterson. Uh, we're talking about um, Roger's entrepreneurial ex- experiences. And if you want to find out um, you know, more information about uh, you know, new shows coming up and my take on the shows, those sorts of things. We've got a newsletter. Uh, it's a really good communication. It goes out once a month, and uh, you can access that by signing up at um, at uh, chriscooper.co.uk. So, Roger, what strategies do you have for uh, taking action and getting things done? Because often uh, that's uh, a real, you know, challenge for people, and, uh, and hence me writing a book about it.
2: Actually, but I just love to hear other people's strategies on on doing it. Well, you, you just mentioned your newsletter, Chris. I was reading your last one, and um, I noticed that Jack Canfield was talking about his rule of five. Um, what I tend to try and do is focus on getting three things done per day um, and getting them completed. Um, I, I think, as an entrepreneur, our brains are, are taking in so many different, you know, sort of bits of information and opportunities. It's very difficult for us to sit down and get things done hands up, I'm guilty of that, as, 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 as uh, many people, I'm sure, struggle with it. Um, so I try and focus on three things. But um, I was traveling back from the uh, the States um, last year, and I picked up a book called The One Thing um, by Gary Keller. Um, it's a fascinating read. If nobody's read it, it's, it's worth getting out. Um, and he challenges the multitasking that we all do. And basically says it's flawed. Um, So what I'm trying to do is actually just concentrate on one thing at a time. Um, But um, there are too many other things going on. But basically do one thing at a time and get it done and then move on to the next. Um, But I've not got there yet. But that book is certainly worth reading. But I think one of the things that... um, I, I use and we use as a team is this thing of, uh, about projectization. And um, what, we'll ad- what we'll do is we'll identify an opportunity. We call them red ideas in the business. And um, somebody will take on the responsibility to lead that project and come up with some ideas on how we can move it forward. We'll then pull that um, and we'll have one-to-ones with the individual to see whether we can develop it further. I'll take some time out, look at it in some detail, and see does that fit in with our focus of how we want to drive the business forward. Now, if it gets through that and we've got some clear goals, from there then the project goes ahead. And what we do is, and you know. These leaders uh, within the business, we don't really have a hierarchy as such. I mean, I could lead a project, you know, a new member who's been in the business for for two or three months could lead a project and they will use the expertise of the team as followers to help drive that forward. Um, and then we we progress it through, you know, regular one-to-ones with these care kind of goals. So that's, that's a key way of getting stuff done. Um, for entrepreneurs and business owners, one of the things that I come across um, when I'm spending time with other businesses is that they don't tend to, to create space away from their businesses, so they're always at the coal face. And as a result, they probably miss a lot of opportunities because they're in the humdrum. They're, they're processing everything as it goes along. But what they're not doing is taking time out to sit down and think, "Where do I need to go with this? Where are the opportunities, et etc?" And being away and just exposing yourself to other stimulus um, creates fantastic creativity that you can bring back into the business. So I would say, you know, a couple of those elements make a big difference to any business owner. Definitely. Some great
1: um, thoughts there. And um, we mentioned earlier about collaboration, uh, which um, we, you know, you and I both uh, really appreciate how important it is. How do you
2: recommend people go about collaborating? (laughs) I think collaboration is so much more important in the twenty first century. Um, uh, <clears throat> again, as I said before, you know leading a business can be quite lonely. Um, and if you're out and about and mixing it with other businesses, that's useful as well. Um, sharing and working together stimulates new ideas. Um, I remember a few years ago, I, I got involved um, with a group of speakers and we, we set up a mastermind group and, uh, I know, you know, you've been involved in these sort of things as well, Chris, what we What we did was we we helped each other with our our own speaking businesses, but then also said, well, let's take this a step further and see, can we develop a product? And we created a product for schools called Find My Voice, um, which literally empowered Year Sevens um, to build up confidence, self-esteem, to eventually stand on a stage and do a presentation and speak to an audience. I would say to any business owner, get a group of business people together, maybe people you've met at a network group, people you can trust and start just to meet once a month. Even if you have to chair that to get the thing going, have an agenda, have some topics and start to discuss them. Um, I was uh, a member of Vistage for a couple of years and I find that very, very useful. Where again, a different array of businesses would be around a table discussing business issues. And currently, uh, I'm I'm in Yorkshire, a member of the Business Exposure Group. Again, a similar type of of setup where you discuss issues that are going on in business and link to the businesses around the table. In fact, this morning I had an email from a chef um, and uh, we're looking at opportunities there to collaborate and promoting his. His business, because if I can promote his business, he in turn, you know, will 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 promote ours, I'm sure. And he's linked to some of the castles. So there's there's some interesting stories in there, some interesting connections. And you just never know who knows somebody else down the chain. Over Christmas and the new year, um, I came across a pilot who flies a drone um, and is a photographer. So we're now exploring the opportunities of creating, you know, 4K video for historic properties and proper photography for them. Um, and it is. It's it's as diverse as that. The more collaboration you can do, the more you can get into disruptive thinking, and again, other opportunities uh, come through. So this brings in new thinking and creativity into your into your business and your life. But I think the key element there is with that collaboration is take time out to meet different people outside your industry. Yeah, that's a, that's really great. It's one
1: of the reasons why I, I do this radio show actually, because mm-hmm. it you know enables me to to meet lots of different people um so i wonder you know in us in chatting uh, previously um you know you talked to me about you know the absolute <laughs> importance of understanding profits and building assets and i think um
2: you know, it'd be great just to explore that for, a, for a, um, a couple of minutes or so that's fine that's fine chris um i, I talked I talk to a lot of businesses and I'm always surprised at how many, when in fact most of them do not have a mission, purpose and value statement for what they do. Um, And, um, you know, corporates have them because they have to have them. They probably don't look at them a lot. But where businesses use this technique, it's amazingly powerful. Um, And I'd actually take it a step further to say, you know, Individuals should have a personal mission, purpose and value because if you understand who you are and what you are and and what you're about, you can then make decisions on what you get involved in. Uh, You can see the value from a business perspective, but you can also see the value from from a personal element and and that can take you forward to things that you want to do. But if we're looking at assets within a business, um, the, the, the first asset that starts is people. People are key. And uh, if you want to build a business, you've got to build teams within that and expertise and get them to work together um, to to drive your vision forward and, and their understanding of it. And from there, then, it's about processes. So the processes that you have to make that flow smoothly and processes never stay The same. And again, when I go into businesses, I see processes that have been running for years and years and they're out of date, yet they've not picked up on that. So processes need to have those 1% improvements all the time. And it's the people in the team that can change that. Some businesses will have intellectual property that can be very, very valuable, especially with inventors and new product development. And then after that, I see it as the IT systems uh, and what people are putting in. We uh, in Celtic Castles have developed our own cloud system, um, and that's a very valuable platform for expansion. So that's an asset that has huge value um, going forward, not for us just to grow the business, but should the business ever come up for sale, then that becomes a valuable asset in itself. And then you're into the hard plants and machinery and potentially buildings, So from that side of things, it's do you want to invest in office space, in plant and machinery that's going to give you a return? But another thing that I find absolutely fascinating uh, when I speak to business owners is they don't know what the profit is until their accountant tells them what their tax bill is going to be. And by that time, they can't do anything with it. And it's just how much can they reduce the tax bill? Um, you need to have management accounts in place. Be looking at those on a minimum basis of once a month um, and then be prepared to know how you can build your asset base and from there invest in, in the business to allow it to grow and manage you know, all elements of, of what a business person needs to manage with, with, within. And it is, you know, businesses are there to make profit. With profit you can invest in people, uh, etc., to create and growth um but you know don't wait until the
1: account tells you what you've got one of, one of my men- oh sorry Chris. I, was going to, I was just gonna ask I you was- um there, there in terms of uh, i've only got just a couple of minutes left and okay. um, so maybe we'll just um we'll just move on from, from that i just want to ask you just a uh, uh, one question uh, quickly and then a sort of final message but i am um, you know to, you know Today, you must sort of kick yourself when you stay in all these beautiful castles with their owners and you have these amazing holidays. But how do you recommend people keep the faith when they're not where they want to be?
2: I think it's vision, belief and passion. Um, have that feeling of what you want to achieve. You believe you can do it. And if you've got that passion for it, um, there's a good chance that, that it can um, happen. And um, that's certainly what, what's, what's kept me going um, and allowed me to, you know, create Celtic Castles and, and, you know, the lovely experiences that are there. But um, for, for me, it's also the feedback I get from customers. That's a huge driver. And to have somebody stay in a castle and then come back and say, you know, Roger, you've nailed it, or that's just incredible, means more to me than the money we generate, the profit we make, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's just priceless. That uh, makes, uh, makes a lot
1: of sense. And uh, Do you have any final messages that you'd like to leave us with today?
2: I, I think I would say just, um, you know, once you've found your passion, just work hard. But most importantly, make sure that the journey and the adventure is fun, because if it's not fun, there's no point in doing it. And I would just finish off by saying be grateful for everything that you have, however big or small it is um and uh, i certainly pinch myself every day and feel very grateful for all the experiences i've had in life and look forward to more going forward okay, Roger, it's
1: been an absolute pleasure talking to you and uh, i think there's a lot of you know a lot of um thoughts there for for people you know it's it's you know the wisdom in failure um and the importance of having this uh, this vision for yourself and mission and purpose you know working hard and uh, uh you know b- finding opportunities to to multiply and uh, build your assets and so lots of things. I've taken a few notes while I've been listening as well. So, you know, once again, uh, thanks very much and uh, look forward to seeing you next week. And if you have any questions or or feedback, please send them to me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. My show next week, we have uh, Paul Charity. And I'm delighted to uh, welcome Paul because um, I've been someone who's been inspired by his his newsletter, which has really become the most sort of popular read in his industry sector, and uh, he's really you know mastered the marketplace and become a very important person in it. Um, he works in the um, sort of food pubs and hospitality and restaurants kind of sector, and he's going to give us loads of great tips on, on creating great newsletters and, uh, and, and events and how to master your market. So do join us for that. Once again, thanks very much to uh, the Castleman, Roger Masterson, and I look forward to speaking to you all again next week
0: thank you for listening to be more achieve more please join your host chris cooper again next friday at 8 a.m u.s pacific time typically 4 p.m london on the voice america business channel enjoy your week